Ever had one of those moments when you thought to yourself or maybe even said out loud, what was I thinking? This doesn't make sense. Well, if you don't, or if you never have, maybe the rest of us should worry about you. You know, you're like a freak or something. You're always right, or maybe you just don't care. But if you have had one of those moments, welcome to humanity. You're one of the rest of us. We're glad you joined us. So when I originally laid out this sermon series, I laid out a different text to go with these topics. And then a Monday morning, I come to my office, I read the title, and I read the text, and I grabbed my Bible here, and I read the text, and I thought to myself, what was I thinking? How in the world am I going to preach this to reach that topic? What does this have to do with COVID-19? And I'm just really about to freak out on myself in my office Monday morning. I went out and talked to Karen. I was like, what was I thinking? I don't even know. And I thought, you know, maybe I should read the rest of what I wrote. So I went back to my office, read my preaching plan, and I had another sentence or two where I had already explained it to myself. And I went, oh, that's what I was thinking. So with that in mind, we're going to read Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34 is our key text today. And when you first hear it, you might be like me. You're going to be like, how does this apply to COVID-19 and when life turns upside down? But trust me, it does. Everything that happens in our life today, you can see mirrored in Scripture as well. Because just as God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, humanity is the same as well. We've got the same hang-ups, the same hurts, the same issues. So let's read together in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 and following. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money has gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now we're on verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell before Paul and Silas, trembling. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
you and your whole household. Then they spoke the words of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and uh, all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Wow. This passage of Scripture speaks to our title today, Considering Our Reactions When Life Turns Upside Down. Considering Our Reactions When Life Turns Upside Down. It lends itself to my little dilemma on Monday morning of what was I thinking, that reaction. Remember our scripture memory verse of the month before we get on with our text, however, and that's in uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 8 from our sermon a few weeks ago. It's five words. Then they remembered his words. Speaking of Jesus, that's the reason we study God's word every week, so that we're filled with it. We memorize it, we engage it by listening, reading, studying, thinking, discussing. And of course, we come to this part of our worship service together to open God's word and ask that he would speak to us as we remember God's word. The top of your outline, by means of introduction, says that Paul and Silas were preaching about Jesus and turn life upside down. And we've got a question there, and that question is, what can we learn from the different reactions? The different reactions to what they did and what they preached, and what can we learn from that? Before we go any further, let's pray. God, we're so glad that you've given us your word, and your word speaks to every situation in life we might face. Even though I might not speak exactly, it gives us examples and principles that we can learn about your kingdom on earth and how you desire us to live. So, Father, would you speak to us today by these words of Scripture that we would know how we might react when life turns upside down from the examples here in Acts chapter 16. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So the first point on your outline today is the slave girl, that truth more than others' opinions. Truth more than others' opinions are your blanks to fill in there. So kiddos, if you're drawing, and I didn't mention things last week, but again, I will this week, we've got seven different pictures you might draw this week, and you might draw them all as one picture if you have your sheet of paper, and draw the slave girl here. And you might draw her as a girl who looks determined, right? Because Let's go back to our scripture and says, see what it says. In verse 16, it says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And it says she owned, earned her owners a great deal of money by this. Now, this is a terrible thing to be uh, filled with an evil spirit, but this spirit had some ability, and apparently she was able to communicate rationally, even though she was filled with a wicked spirit. And she followed them, and she said, not just said, but shouted that these men are servants of the Most High God. Now, that phrase, Most High God, for Jewish people and for us as believers in Jesus, we obviously think it's the God we know, the God of the Bible. But for Greek folks, they might believe that to be Zeus, the highest of their gods and their pantheon. So it wasn't necessarily true that she was leading people to understand about Jesus, but very well may be. 
Let's go on in the passage there. It says, there's servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, for us as believers in Jesus, we talk about salvation. I'll talk about it a little bit more in just a moment here. But even for them, that understanding wasn't something that was um, out of the ordinary. There was this concept of salvation or deliverance in the afterlife that was even in the Greek understanding of things. So it may not be that she had the motives to point people to Jesus. I mean, it's, I say she, she speaking, but it's a demon speaking through her. It may have been, however, that she was because she was going to try to deceive people. The work of Satan and his wiliness and craftiness to try to deceive people and mislead them by having people think that she was a part of this missionary band as well. So whatever the motive of Satan was in this, she kept this up for days, and uh, your Bible might say that she annoyed Paul. That's not the best translation. The best translation is that he was disturbed or that he was grieved, um, like that he was sad or hurt or heartbroken because of her condition, that either her owners wouldn't control her, number one, she was a slave, number two, she was filled with a demon, Uh, And number three, she kept acting this way day after day. One way or the other, Paul was grieved about this. And finally, he turns around, and I don't know why it took days. The Bible doesn't tell us that. And he cast the demon out of her in the name of Jesus. Now, here's a cool image for us to consider. And that's, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter the kind of things in your life, that all of us have been captive by sin at one point in time. Maybe not a demon, but certainly We're slaves to sin, and we can all be freed by Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, this poor slave girl was free. It says at the end of verse 18, at that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, that's pretty cool. All of us, we know, have broken God's laws. We've sinned. And all of us know that because of that sin, that we're not a good person, at least not as good as we pretend to be. And the Bible tells us there's a solution for that, however, and that solution is through Jesus, that if any of us at any time would admit that we're a sinner, that believe that Jesus is God's Son, and confess Jesus is our Savior and Lord, that we too can be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10.9 says. And so we consider that, that we can be freed. This slave girl was telling the truth, whether she realized it or not, about Paul and Silas, and the opinions of others didn't matter to her, and we see that some in our COVID-19 situation now. We'll get to that at the conclusion of our sermon. But let's move on to the fact that she had slave owners as well. Now, even today, there's this heinous practice where people treat other people as property. But the second point in your outline says slave owners more money more than others' welfare. They were concerned more about making money than the welfare of others. They kept her as a slave. Now, we don't know what condition she was kept under, but notice what it says in verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, it's interesting in Greek that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, uses a play on words here that he uses the same word for the evil spirit gone out of her to say now that their hope of making money was gone out from them. Uh, He's being a little clever, right? But they realized that their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Now, we've seen this kind of thing before. 
that in Mark chapter 5, Myra shared with you a story at the end of Mark chapter 4. But in Mark chapter 5, uh, a demon-possessed man that had a whole legion of demons comes before uh, Jesus. Jesus cast out the demons into a herd of pigs. The herd of pigs go off a cliff and kill themselves. And then the people that own the pigs, rightfully so, are mad because they just lost all their money, right? And they get mad at Jesus and tell him to leave this place. But the sad part of that is they were more concerned about the money they'd have made than the man who was set free from the demonic possession. Money mattered more than a person. We see that a lot today even still, don't we? And also, uh, there are other stories in, um, like in Acts chapter 19, when uh, the silversmiths at Ephesus are mad because if all the people stop worshiping the false gods of Artemis and others, they won't need the silver idols that they're making. So they bring the missionaries in front of the same sort of magistrates. In every sort of town, there would be magistrates and they would be in the agora or the town square and there'd be two magistrates. Now, wait a second, I forgot to tell the kids what to do. Draw the slave owners. Draw two guys that are looking mean and ugly. They're greedy, right? Uh, They're interested in money or something like that. So they make three accusations against Paul and Silas. Listen to what they say. It says, these men are Jews. They were appealing to a a latent suspicion, a prejudice against Jewish people, among other uh, people. And then it says that they're causing an uproar, throwing our city into an uproar, well, they were the ones that really started it, right? Grabbing them and and making a big fuss over this. And then the last one is the one that's only partway true by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. Jewish people had one God and would not worship the Roman emperor. And uh, this would be then unlawful by their terms. And so these are the charges they're bringing against Paul and Silas when they bring them before the magistrates. And in a way, they're using dog whistle words. They're using trigger words, right? Uh, One party's dog whistle is the other side's trigger word, right? And they're using those sort of things. See, I told you it's the same in the Bible as it is today. And they're using those sort of things to get the attention of the crowds and the magistrates, the governing authorities to say, these guys are bad, we've got to do something about them. You know how it goes, right? One side might say the sky is blue, and even though the sky is actually blue, the other side's going to say it's green, just so they don't have to agree with them. I mean, this foolishness is still around today, where if we say certain words to certain people, they're going to respond in a certain way, rather than being reasonable and thoughtful and honest and fair. Reasonable, thoughtful, honest, and fair is not what's about to happen here. You heard it when I read it already. Let's move on in our passage of Scripture to your third point on your outline. And your third point is the crowds. And the reaction of the crowds were that they were more interested in fitting in than finding the truth. They were more interested in fitting in than finding the truth. Look what it says in verse 22. The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. They hadn't done anything really wrong, right? But now they're being attacked and stripped and beaten. Kids, if you're drawing pictures, you need to draw a picture of people being angry with their hands up in the air. And I don't know that you want to draw a picture of anybody fighting anybody, but this is just a terrible situation. 
Paul and Silas by casting out a demon, by causing these men that owned the slave girl that possessed the demon, or that the demon possessed, um, were now in the midst of all this sort of trouble. Even today, some folks want to fit in with the crowd, right? They don't think for themselves. Uh, They don't care about the right thing to do. They don't resist temptation to sin. They just go along with human nature. And you see that happening even here in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. So let's take the next step. The next reaction, the fourth point in your outline, is about the authorities. The authorities, it says, control more than justice. These guys, sadly, were more interested in controlling the crowd and keeping the peace, you notice I'm using my air quotes here, than finding justice. What does it say that they did? It says, uh, the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Now, we don't know if there was a trial, but it doesn't seem that there was. It seems like the words that the crowds brought and the slave owners brought against them were enough. And rather than have this you know, uproar, the magistrates say, we're going to take care of this. Take these guys away and strip them down and beat them. And it says in verse 23, and after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, it's interesting, this term for the guys, the magistrates that flog them is a term that's used even uh, in our history today, and we'll get to that in a minute. So the authorities, kids, if you're drawing pictures there, draw two guys who look official and fancy, and maybe they have some sort of mean face as well, because they're making a decision that's not a nice decision, at least by our point of view here. So in the midst of this controversy, in the midst of all this resulting violence, what happens to Paul and Silas, right? They've just been beaten and flogged. They had their clothes stripped off of them before that. This was not kind treatment. This was not healthy or comfortable treatment. But this is our fifth different reaction, and that's Paul and Silas. They were more interested in God's glory more than their own plight. So their reaction was more about God's glory more than their own plight. Let's move on with our passage of Scripture there in verse 25. About midnight, now we don't know what time this whole thing started, but in the middle of the night, obviously, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Kids, if you're drawing pictures, draw a picture of our missionaries, draw them in chains by their feet, and draw them singing. I mean, this is amazing stuff. They've been beaten, they're flogging. Instead of groaning and crying, instead of uttering curses to God, they're praising God. The thing we can learn from this as adults is that praising God doesn't depend on circumstances. You can learn that as a teenager. You can learn that as a child, that We shouldn't base our theology on our circumstances. Instead, we evaluate our circumstances in light of what we know to be true about God. That praising God does not depend on our circumstances. Think about what Scripture teaches us. In Philippians 4.4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In Romans 8.28, it says that God causes all things, that means even bad things, to work together together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. In Colossians 4.17, it says that our momentary and light afflictions are, are, are building for us a far more eternal weight of glory in heaven. 2 Corinthians 
12, 9 says that my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. What scripture is telling us is that bad things are gonna happen to us, but God is still God and he desires us to rejoice in those things because he has a plan that through those things and in those things, he'll be present with us in a way that he is not present or wait a second, the way he doesn't feel present to us when circumstances are going good. Notice what I said, feel, because God is always present with us, yet we don't always know he's present because things are going okay and we don't need him. Yet, when we're in prison, when we've been beaten and flogged, when our situation is bad and our circumstances are negative, that's when we so often turn to God. Notice what happens next, though. They've been singing hymns. The other prisoners are listening. Verse 26 Acts 16, 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now, why would that be? Well, it shook the building so much that the doors themselves couldn't stay together and they just came apart, right? And if they were chained in such a way that the chains were attached to the walls, the cracks in the walls came loose that the chains came out or maybe the walls came down to a certain extent. It doesn't say that, but one way or the other, what scripture says is true. And these things happen in all the prison doors, all the chains. Then it says in verse 27, the jailer woke up. Well, was the jailer with them? It might have been that the jailer was on night shift and he's sleeping out there with his feet up in the chair and the big ring of keys beside him. We don't know. But it was probably that his house was right next to the prison. I mean, that's the way they would build this, right? That the chief jailer and any of his assistants would have their houses right there so that they could hear and see and respond to anything that was going on. So it may have been that even the jailer had heard their singing. We don't know. It may have been um, that he was aware of their preaching beforehand. We don't know. But certainly... When an earthquake comes, big enough to shake a jail with multiple people in multiple cells, even if it shook the whole city, we don't know. He knew what happened. The jailer woke up when he saw the prison doors open. I'm in verse 27 now. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, you and I are going, what? Why would he do this? This was not modern-day America, law and order and justice like we knew. He knew that if he lost those prisoners, he would be tortured and treated worse than those prisoners may have been tortured. So for him, it would be easier, even though a terrible thing for us to think about, to take his own life rather than to be turned over to the authorities as he was going to be. Paul must have known this, or maybe Paul saw him, because what does it say in verse 28? But Paul shouted, don't Harm yourself. We are all here. I'm sure the jailer went, what? He calls for lights, it says in verse 29, and he rushed in and he falls trembling before them. And he brings them out and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, commentators debate. Was he talking about just salvation from the punishment he might face if these guys got out. The thing is, based on what followed and based on the fact that they were singing and praying and witnessing to their faith, even when they were in chains about midnight before this earthquake, a miraculous earthquake happened, that he knew what he was saying. 
He was talking about the salvation that they were proclaiming, not just some generic salvation or some salvation that was known in Philippi or the Greek Empire, but something or excuse me, the Roman Empire, something specific. So he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what do they say in verse 31? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Now, it's interesting there, that phrase, you and your whole household. Was it that Paul and Silas knew prophetically, like in a vision, that his whole household would come to faith? Or was it that because his house was right there with him, and somewhere along the way, his family came into the jail as well because they heard what was going on, and they're like, what do you mean nobody left? What do you mean the doors are open in the chains? And they were coming to try to help, you know, we're going to try to help husband, father, whoever he was to them, you know, wrangle all the bad guys that were in jail. One way or the other, they were all there. It's amazing to me what's happened here. Uh, The miracle notwithstanding, I mean, of the violent earthquake in response to their praying and singing hymns about God. But that in spite of our circumstances, when we live for Jesus, other people take notice. And people will be drawn to him. And maybe it's not in spite of our circumstances, but because of our circumstances. When we go through something difficult, but we do it in a way that honors God, and we still proclaim praise to God with our lips, even though our circumstances is terrible, whether it's our health, whether it's our finances, whether it's relationship, people are watching us. They know, and they see. That's exactly what happened here. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The missionary said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, they said there is no other name given to men under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. In the end of John, the writer of the Gospel of John, John, says that these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's what it is, friends, that if you believe Jesus is God's Son and you believe God's words are true, then you will be saved. It was the same here in Acts chapter 16 as it is today. So we're moving on ahead here. We've had five different reactions so far, and we get to our sixth reaction, and our sixth reaction is that of the jailer. And on your outline there, it says the jailer, eternity more than his job. He immediately switches from being more concerned with his eternity and salvation than his job. He doesn't think anymore about the fact that the orders he received. Go back to verse 24. He was told to keep careful watch over them. In verse 24, it says, Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. He didn't want them to get away. He knew that they were what we would call a high-value target, right? And what does it say then in verse 27? He woke up. He saw that the doors were open. He was about to kill himself. But then... This amazing transformation happens. Go to verse 32. It says, Then they spoke the words of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then he immediately, and then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and was filled with joy. Why? Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. 
You see this just moments before. He was ready to commit suicide. But when he understands God's love for him, he and his whole household, he takes them into his house. He washes their wounds. Previously, he didn't care. They're just prisoners. Now he's caring for them. He feeds them like they're part of the family. And remember, this is midnight, right? This is the middle of the night. Look at the amazing change that takes place. Kids, if you're drawing a picture of that, draw the jailer with his big ring of keys, but drawing with a smile ear to ear because that's what's happening here. Because of the witness through prayer, through singing, through that powerful miracle, and then the fact that they didn't run out and leave, but they knew that God had a plan for salvation. And the witness of Paul and Silas the jailer and his whole family have come to faith in Jesus as their Savior. Go back to verse 34. It said, The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God. Now, Luke wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. And it's interesting that the Greek word for joy is used 79 times in Luke and Acts. The whole rest of the New Testament, it's only used three times more than that. That Luke loved that word joy. And we see it again and again and again in the book of Luke and in Acts. When God changes somebody's life, when somebody gets saved, when they're transformed, they respond with joy. Isn't that amazing? This man and his family because they found Jesus in the midst of all this craziness that just happened, had joy. So that was our sixth reaction. Now let's get to our seventh one. Your seventh and final reaction here is the household. Salvation more than sleep is what I put for that one. Salvation more than sleep. This is the middle of the night. And instead of going back to bed, they are now interested more in to hear the message of Jesus and the fact that they can be saved and they go to work preparing a meal and they go to work helping to wash the wounds and they go to work listening to Paul and Silas proclaiming Jesus to them. Kids, you just need to draw a picture of a family and draw them all with smiles on their faces. Draw them serving other people because salvation brings joy. That's the result here. Salvation more than sleep. So friends, we've seen seven different reactions in this story. And now I've got three questions, however, for us to bring this to a conclusion and apply it to our situation now in COVID-19. And that first question for you is, which of these reactions to COVID-19 do I see? Go back in our story and think about the slave girl, the one who wants to tell the truth, no matter what others think. Think about the doctor we heard about in China that wanted to tell the truth and served others and uh, died of the disease but the Chinese authorities weren't listening to him thinking about people that you know that seem to be interested in the truth even though other people are like stop talking about that the second reaction were those that care more about money not the welfare of others those were the slave owners in this story And even in COVID-19, we've got some that are more interested in money. Let's open up the economies. And I'm I'm not knocking them. I'm not condemning business owners or certainly not uh, trying to be insensitive to those that are unemployed because of this. I want the economy to open back up too. But if we're more concerned about money in the economy rather than the life and souls of other people, we might have a problem there, right? 
The third type of reaction were the ones who just wanted to go along with everyone else. They were swayed by the news, the sound bites, the memes, and they didn't too think too critically for themselves, like the crowds, right? A lot of blind, uninformed, or ill-informed crowds, even now in our COVID-19 situation. It's reality. It's the way we live. The fourth type of people, uh, you may not be in governmental authority to use force to keep peace, but they're still using threats or control or uh, these sort of things. We've got that going on um, with the government authorities telling us things we don't necessarily agree with here with COVID-19. The fifth was Paul and Silas. Think about their reaction. In the midst of getting beaten and flogged, they are praising God, not depending on their circumstances, trusting God in faith, and God responds with this a miraculous earthquake setting them free, but they don't even leave the prison. The sixth type of reaction were those that react with joy and faith like the jailer because salvation brings joy. And seventh, his family. They were more willing to learn about the gospel and know what God had to say to them than sleep. And maybe today some of you are that way, that somehow miraculously you are able to pray, you are able to read your word, you're able to do his work, even then rest and get sleep for your own. All these reactions or more are going on in life today in the midst of the circumstances of COVID-19. Which leads us to the next question. Which of these reactions to COVID-19 describes me? If you're thinking about yourself and you're being honest, which of them describes you? And it may be that, well, uh, depends on the day, depends on my circumstances. It may be that you struggle with fears and it may be that you struggle with these realities and maybe that you struggle with anxieties, just like we've subtitled our sermon series, Overcoming the Anxieties of COVID-19. These things could all be real. But God's word tells us how to handle these things, to focus on him, to pray and to praise him, to sing. There's something about songs that God uses to take the truth in our heads and transfer them to our hearts where we can feel them and believe them and do them and obey them, which leads to our third and final question. How can I best glorify God during COVID-19? For you personally, knowing how you may have already reacted and what is your bias, what is it that you can do in response to this sermon? What is it you can do in response to looking at how Paul and Silas and the jailer and the jailer's household responded in the midst of a crisis that you can do differently? How are you glorifying God through COVID? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Can you glorify God through COVID? Yes, you can. Should you glorify God through COVID? Yes, you should. Absolutely. God is still sovereign. Think about how much he knows and how much he plans, how much he maintains and how much he orders. Think about the things that bring you joy. Just for a second. Um, I was reading Dallas Willard this week and he um, walked us through the things that bring us joy, like watching an animal or uh, looking at fish in an aquarium or a sunrise or a sunset, something that brings you joy. And think about that that one small thing brings you joy and its wonder, but now multiply that infinitely because God created all those small things. And God has joy from all those things all at the same time. And think about God's sovereignty is so much greater than anything we can imagine And in his sovereignty, he desires you 
to glorify Him, to have joy in the salvation that He has given you and pleasure in that salvation. Why? Because He loves you and He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sins. We can react in a more Christ-like way. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so very much for your word for us and all the things we've learned today. That even though there are all these varied reactions to COVID-19, that we too can choose to be filled with joy, to pray and sing praises and have our minds set on you in the midst of the circumstances of our life. Whether we've got some health issue whether we've got a financial issue or a relationship issue or anything else, we bring them to you, God. We thank you for the way that you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, church family, for tuning in as we consider one more time here today how we might overcome our anxieties in dealing with COVID-19. The governor announced on Friday some new guidelines that may apply to us in the weeks ahead. And please know that we'll be looking to understand those guidelines further as they relate to how we might gather together to worship again all in our sanctuary. But in the meantime, be sure to call us, 402-423-5062. If we can do anything for you, email me directly, Aaron at southviewbaptist.org. Or, of course, go to our website, southviewbaptist.org, and click the I can help or I need help. And we'll keep pairing people together and how we can respond. That even though we're still apart, we're going to get through this together. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.